Whenever we have a chash of a guest that comes, the first thing I like to do is to really introduce you to what's going on over here. Most things that people repeat in the world about anything are not true, uh, especially if it's about TP. <laughs> Almost everything is not true, right? What, what, what did you hear? So um, did any of, I tell any of you to give your, buy your kids drugs? No. <laughs> I told you, you keep the drugs for yourself. Drugs are not for children. <laughs> Okay, we give out over here Mentos Paracus, but really this is ecstasy. This you take on the way out, that's how we have success. Right, okay, so th- that's like the typical kind of thing, right? Usually people think you come here and you get right away a package. The package contains cheeseburgers for the whole family, um, and we don't care about Tyre. So the first thing, in all seriousness, is nobody comes here without a letter from their Das Tyre saying that the matzav is extreme, not chenuch, almost always severe pikuach nefesh, but definitely way, way off, and that the Rav takes a chrayis to make sure that the family doesn't do anything against the Torah, and each parent signs a shtar. That's besides the fact that I never give an advice on a case where the Rav involved ever said that I was wrong, and that I have das Torah behind me. But I don't use the das Torah behind me to say, psak halacha. Never. Today I was on the phone with a family, with their Rav, from five towns, very chash of a Rav. Anytime that you have a shayla about um, that could chas v'shalom step on the Torah, that's what the Rav is for. And they sign Ishtar and the Rav signs Ishtar. So all of the Das Torah issues and all of that obviously are false. But I'd like to do, and I enjoy this very much, it's a big, I think it really is the power of what we're doing. If we could just go around quickly, if you could just call out which Rav sent you to me. And, and it's Kedai to hear, you see from Alakrizen almost. We have both Samers Baruch Hashem here. We, we make peace between everybody. We have both bubbles. We have all eight visions. Oh, it's a every, blessing of yeah. Ramey Stern. I'm very proud of that. Yeah. They needed two rabbis. Yeah. Okay, we did you guys already? Yeah. Baba Vadayan. Deitch. Beloved. Yeah. And Rabbi Eisenberger, and I don't remember who you were. Okay, anyway, so you don't get in here without a letter. That's super important because there's a lot of obvious is this, obvious is that. I don't say anything about the Torah. If I feel that something needs to be done, you check with your rabbi. And the only person who knows whether you're doing the right thing or not is your Rav. Another rabbi who doesn't know Pikoch Nefesh, doesn't know your situation, doesn't know what's going on. He could say, oh, that's crazy. You know, the, the Rav that we were on the phone with today, he listened for 45 minutes to the parents, a very hush of a senior Rav from Five Towns, and then he says, although I can't believe I'm actually going to say this, you have to do kach v'kach v'kach. You know, it's like, and they think it's an exception. It is an exception, just we are very exceptional people. Everything we do here is only the exception. So it's like added into the list of 50 Rabbanim who have made that exception. We only deal with exceptions. That's number one. Number two, we are, are anti-drugs. And it's a, it's a very tough thing for the world to believe in because I am chaylik with the addiction world for when it doesn't work, and it looks like we're pro-drugs. But we actually have, Baruch Hashem, a very high success rate um, of kids who are on all kinds of drugs and who stopped without any treatment, which is the best way to stop. We have a tremendous amount now, seven years, eight years, nine years, six years, five years, kids that, that didn't go back. And that's what we're davening for, for all the kids who are struggling with drugs. 
when you have the nechama from your parents, you're not in that much pain, and therefore you don't need drugs to numb your pain. And then you can just stop it when you're ready, and then there are a certain percentage of kids that are severely, either it's heroin, or extremely traumatized, and they need to be in uh, places, which we are all for that. So let's, let's handle one Lubavitch crisis at a time. <laughs> what I want to point out here is this, this, this is... This is amazing. You guys are amazing people. In support groups of parents who have kids who are Mechal Shabbos and off the derech, they, they have a lot of emotions that come up, a lot of hatred, and we've got to throw the kid out and all of that. And over here, look how you're all struggling to find a way of how am I most able to accept my child that she shouldn't feel bad. These are our problems, Baruch Hashem, that we have. Right, we have three kids off the dark. No, we have three kids off the dark. We have a lot of, a lot of pain, and the problem that the questions that we have usually are is so beautiful. I think, you guys should just take a, a minute to realize that that these are our things. I don't want my kid to feel bad. What is the best way to make my kid realize that she shouldn't even think that I feel bad? How am I going to deal with my pain? Not a problem. How am I going to deal with it? I want to make sure that nothing. No negativity reaches my patient. That's your question. Okay, that's beautiful. These are Baruch Hashem the questions that we have over here. It's, it, these are good problems to have, and these are good questions. So I'm going to turn over the mic if it's okay to Rabbi. You could say other things also, and then if you have an answer to this question, that'll be fine. And also, we want to know what is empathy. Okay. Hi. Empathy is an emotion, not a behavior. (coughs) So you can force yourself to behave and to do something that you don't feel. And in fact, that is often a good thing. You don't have to, thank God, we don't always have to do what we feel like doing. And we don't have to not do what we don't feel like doing. We can do something... With, uh, with a conflicted heart when we know it's the right, because we have a mind, and it overrides the heart. So we can force ourselves to do some, something we don't really feel like doing. That, that's when you're talking about actions, about mice, uh, about a behavior. But empathy is an emotion, and you can't fake an emotion. So if I understand correctly, the question was, you know, As I understood it, the question was, my daughter wants me to feel empathy. How do I convince her that I am empathetic? And the answer is, you can't. You can't. I mean, that's really saying, how can I fool her into thinking that I care about something that I don't really care? (coughs) And and, and, and it's it's an even taller order because you you, you dafka said empathy. If you say sympathy, that's a little lower darga. So sympathy would be, you know what, your problem doesn't actually bother me, but I'm sad that you have a problem, right? It's like <laughs> you're thirsty for some uh, Coca-Cola. Well, I'm not thirsty, but I've been thirsty for other things, so I guess I feel I can sympathize with your thirst, right? I'm not thirsty for Coca-Cola. In fact, I'm not even thirsty at all right now, but I've been thirsty maybe for other drinks at other times, so, I'm sympathetic. Empathetic would be, uh, if you're thirsty for Coca-Cola, yeah, yeah, you know, taka, now that you mention it, so am I. 
what I would say is I don't know that you have to have empathy. I, I'm, I'm not even sure that you have to. I don't know. Does she have to? It's a good thing to have. It's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. So maybe she's feeling not enough sympathy. So if, if you have to... I'm, I'm going to go along with... You know, Avi says you should get the empathy. So if you need to get empathy... Um, Amazon. Know. Amazon Prime. Within two hours, you get delivered empathy. Some emotions we feel automatically. And, uh, and other emotions we have to, uh, we have to develop. So uh, probably I would say that if you, if you really want to feel empathy and you're not feeling it, um, if you would contemplate her situation deeply contemplate her situation to the point of actually taking quiet time imagining yourself in her situation like really meditating it's really I'm, I'm, you know, to be misbeining in her situation then you would probably feel some emotions don't empathize reactively if you want to get the empathy set a regimen for it. It's like, it's like somebody who thinks he's having a heart attack says, you know what, I should start exercising. Well, no, don't exercise while you're having a heart attack. Exercise yesterday, or how about exercise today and tomorrow to offset or to bavorin a month from now's heart attack. So what I'm saying is you can't start meditating on her situation to the point of identifying so thoroughly that you're going to feel an emotional reaction. You don't do that on the fly, in the moment, while she's upset. You do that when you get up in the morning and the house is quiet, if that's the way you do it, or if you're like me, you do it you know, at night when the house is quiet and every, everything is shut down and you just have your quiet time and sit down and just picture yourself in her situation. And... Uh, Experience it as if it's happening to you. Experience the feeling of having that anxiety about needing. I mean, think really trying to, to live it in your mind. The mind is so powerful. You can have experiences that you're not actually having. And then, you know, the next day, see, here's the thing. If it really works, you won't even know that it works because she'll just stop accusing you of not having empathy. So you'll just have to like realize, maybe after like a few weeks of it, the absence of not being accused of being, of lacking empathy. I'm just going with your assumptions. If it's true that she wants you to have empathy and then that's bothering her, then if you would have empathy, she would be more calm, at least about that thing. So therefore, if you would set five minutes a day, let's say, to sit down and really try to relate to her. Not in front of her. It has nothing to do with her. It's not about communication. It's not about, you're not telling her that you get her. This is just between you and Hashem, privately sitting down and trying to, I mean, that's a it's a useful thing to do uh, you know, with people that you're close with and you care about is just people that you're thinking about anyway. I mean, 
I would, I would venture to guess that you think about your kids a lot. Probably there have been times where you spend ten times more time thinking about them than actually being around them. So you, you, you're meditating on them anyway. Usually when we're thinking about people, we're thinking about how they made us feel. That's just you know natural. We're thinking about how they made us feel. But uh, you could take some of that time, carve out a little bit of it, and just instead of thinking about how she makes you feel, just try to imagine how she feels. That, that itself builds a bond. And you don't even have to say anything to the person that you're doing this for. They don't even have to know that you're doing it. Right? Always a time for a story. So, so the, the clock. It's like the speed chess in the park. Yeah. Okay. So there's a mice since he put a chsidim from Rav Zevin. He says the Levi Yitzchok said that I one time learned what is Avis Yisrael from two drunks. That somehow he found himself in a kretschma, in an inn, and there were two drunks, non-Jews, and uh, as sometimes you know sloppy drunk uh, people do, they uh, they start emoting, and you know sometimes they fight, but sometimes they they start loving each other. So this. This particular drunk was saying to the other drunk, I love you, you know, right? I love you, man. I love you. I love you. And he's going on and on, I love you. And the other drunk said to him, if you love me, then tell me what hurts me. And uh, the Bedechava said, what, is, what does it mean to love somebody? It means to know what hurts them. Now think about when it's not just playing a guessing game and trying to become so empathic that you intuitively feel what's hurting them, but think about when they've told you thousands of times what hurts them. We don't know everything that hurts them, but there are certainly things that they told us cause them pain. It's 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 a it's a big part of any close relationship. If if you don't know what causes somebody pain, then how how can they feel close to you? How can they trust you? How first of all, how do they know that you're not going to hurt them more? I mean, that's the first thing. So, uh, the first thing is just listen to what people tell us is hurting them. Even before being so uh, tuned in. When somebody tells you something hurts them, I, I'm, I'm at, this is a sincere question, by the way. It's not a setup. I'm, I'm curious. Do you find that when a kid says something hurts them. Are they... How, how seriously should you take that? I mean, how much should you believe that? 
how much should you wonder if that's the issue or if that's not really the issue or they're confusing the issue? Me? Yeah. I would advise you to write into Ami Magazine and ask Rabbi Taub, a brilliant person who will answer you. Um, we're talking about what kind of kids? We're talking about healthy kids, young kids, medium, old, what age, what stage, what category? Start specifically, the, the, the kids that we're talking about here. Okay. So our kids, first of all, I, let me back up. If somebody, kids are people. You know, we were all, most of us were kids before we became these wonderful adults. So somebody says, ow, why would you not take them seriously? Maybe they just want attention. There's a great solution for that. Yeah. Give them attention. <laughs> right? They say the, the squeaky wheel needs the grease. I say, like Rick Lavoie says, so give it grease. Somebody, what, they need attention. They're not getting enough attention. So let's starve them of attention. That's not going to work. Take them out for lunch. Take them to a nice place. Good. Part of being a parent is you have to give your kids attention. That's why the kids who don't get enough attention, they have attention deficit disorder. They have a deficit amount of attention. The easiest, cheapest thing you can give your kid is attention. If he wants attention, what's so bad about wanting attention? Let them have it, let them get attention. They have a need. It's like saying, what do I do? What do you do if your kid says, I'm hungry? Give him food. No, if you keep on giving him food, he's going to keep on wanting more food. Like every day. <laughs> Some kids want three times a day and snacks. You know, So no food. Yeah, you'll give a kid food, and when he gets older, and he'll have to go to a dietitian and get rid of some of the food that he, that he overate. But why, why would you not respond to someone who has a need? Now, first of all, even those who would say, eh, 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 so let's play the odds. So maybe there's a 5% chance that they don't really need attention or that they don't really, it's not true. There's a 95% chance that it is true. So if you're not sure, why would you take a chance that could, that could be traumatic to a child and stab them, which is a horrible thing, because you're not sure? So let's look at the damage of each way. Okay. So if, let's quote the Lubavitcher Rebbe. The Rebbe said, if you're not sure whether to punish or to hug a child, so if the child needed to be hugged and you punished him, you did a terrible thing. If the child needed to be punished and you gave him a hug, no, no, so you brought some extra love into the world. Let's paraphrase. We don't know sometimes whether to accept or reject. If the child needed to be re accepted and you rejected them, you did a terrible thing. But if the child needed to be rejected and you accepted them, so you brought more acceptance into the world. And let's take it to the answer to, to Rabbi Shesh's question. You don't know whether to believe the child or not to believe the child. So if the child deserved to be believed and you didn't believe him, you did a terrible thing. A child needs to have the safety and security of knowing my parents believe in me and trust me. How many parents told, how many kids told their parents things that were true about abuse and were, I don't believe you? or something like that, that's a trauma worse than being raped. Worse than the rape, worse than the abuse, is a parent and a father and mother says, I don't trust you, I don't believe in you. It takes away everything from the child. You're ripping out the respirator of the patient in a suffix at most. 
So the downside of that is terrible. If you believe your child, you love your child, you accept your child, and taka was the wrong thing to do, so what's wrong? So 20 years from now, you'll have a from able, wonderful person who got too much love and too much acceptance, and they'll look back and they'll say, yeah, I was a stupid kid when I was 8 years old, and I told you something that wasn't true. But it won't be traumatic for them. That's my answer. You okay with that? Yeah, that's great. <laughs> if you're ever not a, you know, around one week in the army, you know, I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm kidding. I can never do that. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. If Rabbi Taub can give us some divrei chizuk. You asked about the what we were discussing last week or whenever it was. You might have to jog my memory, but I think I'll just start. You tell me this is what you're what you're referring to, but what it says uh, in Tanya about the Mishnah Pikeyaves says that you should be humble before everybody. And it makes it uh, a blanket statement. So there are people before whom we naturally feel humble. We, we see that they have, uh, they're doing things on a, on a higher level, let's say, than we are. And we're, uh, we look up to them, we're humbled. But how do you feel humble? Humble before somebody who uh, very clearly you're doing much better than them. You're doing more good than them. Not just doing well, but doing good. You're looking at the person, they're not, they're not functioning. And they're not doing very nice things even. And uh, there's not a whole lot to admire. And, uh, and yet, the Mishnah says, not just have, have compassion for them, but be humbled before them. So how are you supposed to do it? This is what you're talking about? Yeah, this idea? So, uh, so he explains over there in Tanya that uh, you have to think about not the, not the net result. You have to think about the work that goes into it. So he says, you know, it's Sefer Shalbaninim. So Tanya's talking to a from person and says, you, to be from, that's so hard. That's really such a struggle. It's so painful. It's so uncomfortable. When you bench, are you exhausted after you finish benching? Because of Muslim, you ad mitzvah in Afish, like you finish benching, and you're like, oh, wow. Or you just, you know, you bench. So look at this guy. And you, you, you think that he's on such a lower level. Because you're looking at the net result. You're looking at the mitzvahs that he doesn't do, all those mitzvahs he doesn't do that you do. But how much struggle goes into what you are maintaining and how much struggle goes into what this guy's maintaining? For him to even function may take a hundred times more effort than what it takes you to be a respectable religious member of society. And if you think about the effort that goes into what this person is doing, not the end result, but the effort, then you really will be humbled. Not just have compassion for them, but you'll be humbled. You say, wow, 
I really look up to this person. I really not that obviously that not that you're going to go and imitate their life because you can't imitate their life. That's that's them, not you. That's their challenge, not your challenge. But to be inspired by somebody who is working a lot harder at life than you are, even if the uh, you know the end results of all their work doesn't look so doesn't look so pretty. Um, you know, we were talking about before just the fact that we think about the people who are close to anyway. We spend time thinking about them a lot. Maybe this is one of the things we can take time to think about. Think about not what they're doing, but how much struggle goes into whatever it is that they're doing or not doing. And trying to just look into our own cheshben and nefesh, you know, what, what, what are the things in our lives that require that much uh, emotional exertion? If there's somebody, especially, you know, somebody who has trauma, just basic getting through the day can be, uh, can require a, a heroic effort. And we can just, uh, you know, look at ourselves and wonder when's, when is the last time that we uh, had to work that okay, hard? Yeah. That was it? Okay. So I'm so humble before all these parents because the, well, the efforts that they have to go just to go through a normal day, wake up in the morning and go to sleep at night, it's Herculean efforts and amazing me, this self-control that you guys have is just off the charts. Okay. So, well, they don't, they're not building her up. They don't see anything good in their own child. That's in, it's, it's insane. So I, if you remember, I wrote, I can't believe that any parents would write such a letter. And if, I, I don't remember the exact, exactly what I wrote, but something like, I can't really believe this is, the parents wrote this letter. So I found out later, because they followed up with me, the parents didn't write the letter. The parents told the, the brother, they told their son to write up the letter for them, and he wrote it up that way. <clears throat> he followed up, he emailed me, he says, well, actually it wasn't my parents, they told me basically what to write, and then I... Why would they do that? <clears throat> Why? <clears throat> Why would they tell the son to write it up? Maybe they don't write English, I don't know. But... But it was their sentiment. The, the point is, well, the point is that I knew no parent could write such words. And in the end, no parent did write such words. Okay, so first of all, let's just establish the fact, no parent would say, my child has no redeeming values. And you're not saying that either. You're asking... What are my daughter's redeeming values? What are her milas? What milas does she have? You're not telling me she has no milas. Not what you tell her, it's what are her milas. Because if you say she doesn't have any, but what should I tell her? That, what you really ask me is what lie should I say? And, you, and she's not going to believe your lie. The question is, what are her milas? So can we go back to the idea of Don't look at the net result of what she's achieving right now in life because... Clearly, 
it's taking her an incredible amount of energy. See, well, here's what I'm saying. I, I never met your kid. I don't know your kid. But I'm just going to assume that she didn't wake up one day and say, you know what, I'm going to put forth zero effort in life and just see how bad it can fall apart if I don't try. Let me ask you a question. So you're saying academically she wasn't doing well. How hard was she trying? Tried very hard. But the question is not what did she achieve in school. The question is how hard did she try in school? And not just at the studying, not just the academics. How much emotional energy did it take this girl to walk through the doors of the school every morning? A lot. I don't know how she did it. That's right. Are you in awe of what she did when she walked through the school doors knowing that it was, what? She just got her GED? So, hold on a second. A girl who was not a good student, who associated school with with pain, with real pain, and with, with failure and with frustration, and she finished a, a, an academic milestone, and she, on her own, I mean, and she got her GED. I mean, how did she do it? How did she that do it? That GED is worth a thousand times more than if she would have stayed in the system had she had a what, what we'll call a typical experience. You were at, but you were asking five minutes ago. I, I don't know what to tell her when she says, "What what what are my what are my qualities?" And you just told me if well, you know, you yeah, you could you you can never win that game. If, if somebody is saying, I don't have any qualities, and you say, well, you do. No, 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 but not the qualities I want to have. Not the qualities I want to have. Okay, so obviously then we're not going to win at that game. But if the question is, what value do I have? Uh, by the way, I want to tell you something. What, whatever we're, we're discussing right now, that's on top of, that's on top of the intrinsic value the automatic value that every neshama has, which is infinite. Every human being, which is infinite. Which is infinite. So this is already on top of that. And you have a lot to admire her for. See, I, I don't know. You, you're not going to win that game. If you're asking, how can I make her feel good about herself? I can't make anybody feel anything. But if you're going to ask me a question that we can win at, which is, how do I feel good about my kid? How can I have nachas from her right now? How can I see qualities in her that no, I admire? Well, no, this, is, this is, I know you love her regardless, and that's, that's, that's very nice, and every parent, of course, loves a child regardless, even if you have no nachas from her. But love and nachas are two different things. We love a child that we have no nachas from. And you know what? You can have... Nachas from the neighbor's kid, but you don't love him, right? So they're two separate things. You can't control how she feels about herself, but you can control how you feel about her. And so, so we're not going to win at the game. If you're going to if you're going to keep asking, well, but she doesn't like herself. Okay, I don't know how to. I can't even get started. But 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 I don't have an answer to that question. But. But that wasn't really how you phrased your question earlier. Before you asked me, I don't know what to tell her. She says she has no mileage, and I don't even know what to tell her. And now all of, a, all of a sudden, we find out that she has incredible mileage, and you do know what to tell us, and the whole room was clapping. But, but again, we can't win that game. We can't win that game. 
The fact is that your opinion of her, your opinion of her, is what you have control over. And so not only do you love her, because obviously any, any normal person loves their child, but you're proud of her. And you look up to her. And you admire her accomplishments. Now, if, if that's not enough for her right now, you can't control that. But the fact that you have a kid who you not only love, but you are proud of, that's, there's no question that as far as what you can control, meaning creating a healthy environment for your child, an environment where they not only feel loved, but they feel admired, they feel valued, they feel like somebody sees something, somebody sees something worthwhile in me. Let, let, me, ask you, let me ask you a really blunt question. Why do so many girls not dress sneers? There's plenty of ways of rebelling, and there's plenty of ways of express. You want to express yourself? Go paint a picture. It's a way. You want to get attention? You know, uh, go, go, walk around in a fur coat in the summertime. It's an immediate way of being valued for something. So what I'm telling you is that everybody wants to be valued for something. Everybody. <clears throat> wants to be told they have something worthy. So right now, she's in too much pain to really absorb that compliment. And, and I, I hear that. So you tell her, oh, but you have this quality and that quality, and she can't hear it. No, but I want to have that quality. I want to have a different quality. Okay, I hear that. But the point is, you can't control her feelings, but you can control your feelings about her. And when you have feelings about her, they're not just love, because of course every parent loves their child, but you have feelings for your child of admiration, of valuing her, of having specific things that you actually are even envious of. Wow, I couldn't do that. I couldn't do such a thing. That creates an attractive force. Everybody wants to be Everybody wants to be with the people and in the places where they are valued. And, and that's an incredible power. And that's what you do have control over. Even while she can't necessarily relate to it and she can't necessarily get satisfied from it, but the attractive power of being in a place where you're valued is still, still has its pull. You could have her experience in school and what... We're not talking about her feelings. We're talking about your feelings. I should tell, I mean, uh, Avi put the, put the clips out on WhatsApp already, so now I can't even steal my own material. Usually you recycle your own material when you're her speaker. You know the secret, by the way. You only have to have like 50 stories, 10 jokes, you know, and you just recycle them all. So it was already, but I'll tell you, nevertheless... By the way, even here, I heard you recycle a story. It was good. It was one of my favorite ones. I heard the hug story before, but I liked it. So I heard it. Okay. So the story is like this. The, you, you know the Ruzhner Tzadik, Rabbi Israel, the, the, the anacle of the, of the Magid. So from Ruzhner came a diff- few different uh, 
different branches, but one of them was the Husyatnir Rav. And he went to, you heard it from me, yeah. Well, from the clip, that's what I said. So the Husyatnir Rav, he was uh, in Vienna, which was in the 1930s, which was when he was there, that was very cosmopolitan, very modern, very secular. Today, Vienna's docha, Siddhisheshtat, you know, Chredisheyidin. But Amol, especially in the 30s, is very secular, you know, the universities. and So it was a, it was a tzir, like him walking down the street, you know, Streimel, the whole, uh, yeah, they had a tzir. So people looked, and one of the people looking was a reporter from a German paper. So he asked somebody, who is that? And they said, well, that's the Husyatnerov. And he's not Stam, a Rabbiner. Rabbiner is German for a rabbi. He's a Wunder Rabbiner. He's a wonder rabbi. A Balmoifus, you know, a Wunder Rabbiner. So the reporter says, well, I want to meet a Wunder Rabbiner, a wonder rabbi. They said, okay, we'll set it up. So they set up a meeting. The reporter met the Husyatnerov. And he said to him, tell me, what is a wunder rabbiner? What is a, a, a wonder rabbi? So he says like this. A regular rabbi is, you know, like a, a congregational rabbi, a shul rabbi. And he, he controls a, a synagogue. He controls a, a shul. Then you have, bigger than that, you have like the shtotrov. And he controls the whole city. And then you have like, Chief Rabbi, Rav Roshi, he controls a whole country. And then you have the Wunder Rabbiner, he controls himself. So we think that Chinuch means how to control our children, but really Chinuch is how to control ourselves. It's our mitzvah. It's our mitzvah. It's our mitzvah to be mechanech them. How can your mitzvah make somebody else have to work harder? How can my mitzvah be something that you have to do? My mitzvah to be mechanech my kid is something that I have to do. I have to control myself. I don't have to control them. I have to control myself. So let's go back to the question at hand. I mean, we could apply this to everything. But let's bring it back to the specific issue here. You don't have to control how she feels about herself. You can't control how she feels about herself. But you have to control how you feel about her. And the fact that you can genuinely come up with things that you admire about her is really, really, really important and really, really, really good and, and, and powerful. Of course you love your child. But to sit and think a little bit, just to talk it out. It didn't take more than a minute for me to talk with you and figure out some things that you know about your daughter that are really impressive and have the whole room clapping. The fact that she's not in a spoil from that yet, that she can't enjoy her own success yet, okay, maybe, I don't, I don't know her story, but I'm assuming right now that, you know, if, if your tongue's all burnt, that you're not enjoying the chocolate, okay? So you have, a, you have blisters all over your tongue and you have chocolate in your mouth and you can't really enjoy it. So she can't really enjoy right now the fact that she accomplished a lot. And she, in spite of real struggles, that she accomplished. So she can't enjoy it. But the fact that you have nachas, that you enjoy her, that you have pleasure from, from her, that is so powerful. And, and in the end of the day, that's all you really have control over anyway. So the, the more you can... Really focus on your feelings about your child. By the way, let me just 
for free I could throw in that this also applies to Sholem bias. That just like Chinuch is not controlling your kid, it's controlling yourself, marriage isn't controlling your spouse, it's controlling how you relate to your spouse. And you can apply this to every relationship in the world. Thank you very much. I want to add on to this, and then you have a comment, and then we've got to wrap things up because it's already late. Um, so sad to me. So sad to me. Kids that grow up in a family, beautiful families, wonderful families, best school system that ever existed, and everything's great and wonderful, and we have kids that just want to die. And that's really the focus, that we have to remember that in order for somebody at this age to want to die, it's a beautiful day outside. People think we have a Yiddishkeit problem. We have no Yiddishkeit problem. There's no Yiddishkeit, no Goyishkeit, no Menschlichkeit, no, no, no kite. There's no kites. This is kiteless. They don't want to live. And therefore, they numb their pain, so we think we have an addiction problem. They go out with um, opposite um, genders, and we think we have a Taiva problem. And they, they numb themselves watching TV and movies. We think we have a movie problem. The root of the issue is childhood trauma. Why does somebody not want to live? Why does somebody think that I have no value? It's so painful to me. Before we talk about how to deal with her, how to deal with them, we have to, we have to just, like the Rav said, we have to empathize Who's with... Who's the Rav? You, the rabbi, chief rabbi. Chief? The Wunder Rabbina. The Wunder Rabbina. So, we have to, we have to feel... We have to feel bad for them. That's the ikker. Now, there's one other thing. Her, her and, and her, all of our kids are suffering from a low self-esteem. It's like a, a, the, the muscle I give for this is like a, a hot air balloon that has a hole in it. So, you know, it's falling and it can crash, God forbid. What is the big nachas of a hask child? Why when they go on stage and they sing, the mother and father are crying, what is big deal? Every kid says Maidani every day. You go to the rehabs, physical rehabs, and you see somebody take three steps, and everybody's clapping. Everything is in context. That's what he was saying. Everything is in context. Have I done as kol ha'adam l'kavzchus? As we always say from the Sfasemis, it should say, have I done kol adam? What's es kol ha'adam? The whole, that says the Sfasemis, shouldn't judge anybody. But if you're judging somebody, judge the entire person as kol ha'adam, You'll see it'll be Lakavskos. We have to, we have to. And you'll be the Shalruch. When they call Adam. Right. That's, that's the theme we have to understand. And it's really hard because they're not, their legs aren't broken and they don't have cancer and they don't have, and they're not down, right? It's a different disease that you don't see. But that's what he's saying. Think about it. She's broken. And yet she pulled herself together and she did that. You get it. You deserve to be to, to get a round of applause. Now, I believe that Hashem gave parents a supernatural power that nobody else in the world has. That no matter how bad you think your life is, when your mommy looks at you and likes you, not love, likes you. That's why I always tell you. Besides for saying I like, I love you. Say I like you. I can't be Falayrin and Gansen. These people like me. And it's not just two other people. It's a mommy and a tati. They like me. I must have intrinsic value, even though they're not thinking the word and never heard of the word intrinsic. But it's a feeling. You can pump up that hot air balloon, and that's what you're doing with your compliments, but there's still a hole. 
that holds out of our control to fix. That's going to be one day in therapy or one day whatever. But right now, they're crashing Disney World. They're crashing Jamaica. Get out and have fun and do stuff. And that's what you're doing every day to her. And she's still expressing, I feel worthless. I feel worthless. Nabuch, that's the disease. That's what we're up against. And if we don't work on ourselves to do what he said, to really see, you know, it's it, just like just like Hashem looks at us, you know, we're not like the previous generations. And and we, we'll never be them. We're not going to daven like them. We're not going to learn like them. But Hashem is mesameach b'chelkoi, the Vilna Guardian says. How is Hashem mesameach b'chelkoi? Chelek Hashem amoy. We are his chelek. Hashem says, I'm happy with the way you are. And he understands that for us to do one thing is harder than previous generations. And he looks at us and he doesn't see, well, what's the big deal? You learn for 10 minutes. What's the big deal? You know, you had kavan and talata kodesh. He doesn't think. He judges effort. So we have to become godly. We have to judge the effort and see the effort. And when we really believe it, and we see their godless, which they all have, the godless that they have as a chel chel and also the godless that they have because they're good. They're just broken. You know, some of our kids are mamish the sweetest, smartest kids. Sweetest, smartest kids. They were thrown down a flight of stairs that we didn't see. And now we have tzibrach and the kinder. And now we look at them in judgment. We think, oh, I could do better, I could do better. What if Hashem told you, this was the best kid in your family. I gave you a perfect child and tremendous pain. And don't judge and look down. Just realize that this kid is doing better than anybody can do. Can I jump in for one second? Please. Just, uh, That's why it has a swivel. All right. All right, the swivel. You're talking about some of these kids being the sweetest and most sensitive. Just consider the fact. And in a lot of the stuff I'm, I'm hearing, you know, you're talking about extremely sensitive souls. Now, whether they were born that way or that happened because of something that, you know, that what was something that happened to them. I, I think it's very important to understand this. That, you know, you know why a lot of these kids are like such the, the, the most sweetest, the most sensitive. You sh- it shouldn't. It shouldn't confuse you. It shouldn't puzzle you. you shouldn't say, how do you explain? He understands this. That the question itself is the answer. The question itself is the answer. If you are that sensitive, if you feel things that deeply, then yeah, yeah, it can be very difficult to do what quote-unquote normal people do. And the the, the fact that somebody was given extra sensitivity, whether they were born that way or it happened to them because of a trauma or for whatever reason, but when someone's given extra sensitivity, you should know it's a blessing and it's a curse. The curse part of it we all know because that's where the person has a difficult time just functioning, just doing normal things because they're overwhelmed. So you're looking at like, come on, why can't you do a normal thing? Why can't you just get with the program, get through the system like everyone else? Well, Hold on a second. You're assuming that their experience of it is, 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 is one way, and, and it, in reality, or their reality, the experience is totally different. They're overwhelmed. They're all, because these are the kids with, with, with deep, thoughtful, I mean, 
I'm stereotyping and I'm making generalities, generalizations, which are never true uh, across the board. There's always exceptions. But I, I remember one time I was talking to a mechanic, uh, Menahel, of a, they wanted me to point out the, the potential addicts in a, in a, in a third-grade classroom. So I said, first of all, I cannot do that. I don't have a crystal ball like that. I said, uh, second of all, there's no point for me to tell you because you're not going to believe me. Because you're looking in the wrong place. You're, like, you're looking for the class criminal who's breaking every rule. And I'm saying uh, it's the kid sitting in the back quietly writing poetry. That kid I'm most concerned about because that's the kid who feels the most. And, and just and, – and think about it. And, and by the way, I, I – Just back him up. Raise your hand if you agree with what he said. See, this is, this is actual data. Emmis. Well, the, the, the numbing is a coping mechanism. Well, that's a cover-up. Right. That's a cover-up. That's a cover-up. So sometimes it's a diversion. It's a distraction. It's a coping mechanism for the fact that I feel everything so intensely. So you're looking at me thinking, like, why are you failing at something that's so not demanding, so normal, so everybody else is able to do this? Hold on a second. I'm walking into this situation already overwhelmed. I'm already just, I get up in the morning and just functioning, getting through my morning routine is overwhelming. And now you're going to expect, now you're going to place on, on me expectations that... Uh, that are totally inappropriate for my, for my reality. And, and, and then, and of course I fail. I fail because I can't live up to those expectations because it, it's impossible. So now, not only am I hypersensitive and overwhelmed and feeling everything way too deeply, but I'm a failure. And trust me when I tell you, I feel that very deeply. So the fact that I'm a failure, I feel extremely deeply. And you see the, 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 the spiral. You see the spiral. When I feel everything deeply. And then because of that, I don't manage like other people. And I fail. And I know I'm a failure. And by the way, I know that you feel failure. You, you, you don't have nachas for me. I, you feel you are annoyed by me or disappointed in me. You don't think I feel it? I feel it. I feel it deeply. Eats right? Kills me, right? Because I know that I'm a failure. These are like the people that, that you, you almost think are maybe like a little bit, a little bit psychic, a little ESP, you know, like extrasensory perception, you know, that really hyper-tuned in, hyper-aware. You know, I don't know how, you know, how much, but they, they, they have the antenna, right? They have the antenna, and they're picking up. So you, you were talking about before about somebody uh, like getting, becoming ice mensch from chewing noises. 100%. I, yeah, I got it. I got it. The tag and a shirt, right? Okay. Oh, my God. oh yeah. Right? 
And so hold on a second. Hold on a second. And you're yelling at me because I'm not davening. I, my tag in my shirt. That's like yelling at me. I'm not davening. Like if I'm on fire. If all of a sudden in the middle of Mincha, somebody douses me with, with gasoline, sets me on fire. Would you scream at me? Zogashrei. I'm on fire. Let's put me out first, and then I'll then I'll dive in. So how, what if my tag in my shirt is like being on fire? It's consuming me, and then you're screaming at me that I'm not diving mincha. How in the world? Tell me. And now, not only am I, I'm on fire because of the tag in my shirt, I'm on fire because of the tag in my shirt, and you think I'm a bum because I didn't dive in mincha. Well, well, I can say just one thing. One thing is, one thing is. One thing, at the very, very least, and this itself would already be an accomplishment, just stop adding to their pain. It's a mitzvah's lesa say. If we can just not add to any of their pain. You're saying how to make them feel good? Ask Avi. He knows how to, the bombs and everything, how to make them feel good. I'm saying if, if, if you could just come in and say, I didn't... Add to the pain. I think you could already, you know, you could give yourself a round of applause for that. What else? What do you have to say about this? Smooth it all over. I feel like we should uh, run back the clock and start, we should start now. Now we're cooking. Now we're cooking. Now we're cooking. I really, it's such a pleasure to have somebody who really gets our kids here. And um, really, we thank you for coming. Really do. You know, the, when, when you, we already know, we've, we've spoken to so many hundreds and thousands of people as a group, and most people just don't get us and don't get our kids. And some people do. And once you do, then you're on the team, you're on board. We'll already figure out already the details of, of, of the ins and outs, but just to feel, to feel the pain of our children on this level. Ah, yes. Yeah. I mean, well, if you're asking about, you know, the legitimacy of it, so that's not my problem to come in and figure out how this is all kosher. That's, that's your problem. And it seems like you did a pretty good job, you know, making sure that everything you're doing is, has been checked out and Check twice and three times, and seems like you're pretty open to scrutiny. And to, I mean, everything here is so. Don't ask me how to how to you know. But but if you're asking about more in like day to day conversation when you meet people and you're just having a regular talk about what you're doing and they're sort of feeling funny about it. So I would tell you there's there's two approaches. One approach is that you can say, look, this is totally different. It's a yetsim and a klal. Yeah, everything we do here is counterintuitive. And you could just basically excuse yourself from the conversation by saying, yeah, it, you're right, it's totally different, and, and we have das us, so somehow it's okay. That's one approach. Another approach, which I think is a stronger approach, and I think it's the right thing to do, is I think that every... What do you, what do you call the here? What do you call these parents? Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> Every amazing parent. TP, Tyra parent, 
truly incredible parent? Every truly incredible parent should feel a responsibility. You know, so you paid the price of admission already. Right? You went through the hell already and you became a chacham. You had your nesayin, or your nesayinis, a couple of them, right? A few nesayinis already. So, ein chacham kabal nesayin. You became a chacham. So I'm saying, if you can share insights that you have about Yiddishkeit, bechlal, or parenting befrat, or just human nature, whatever it is, that you learned from paying the price of admission, from having gone through your hell, and kept it together and stayed sane and, you know, come out the other side or, or, or even just if you're still in the middle of it, the fact you got up in the morning and, and, and you said Maidani and you went through your day and you went to work and you, you saw your, your, your kid in pain and you, and you smiled at him instead of doing God knows what else. And so you, you, you're a chocham. I mean, you, you're clearly going through an asayin, so... That means you got to be also a chocham. That means, I think the greatest advertisement that you can give, and it's and, I, and like I said before, it's the right thing to do. Meaning, by right thing, I mean you sort of have a responsibility. When you know what you know, that can only be known by going through this kind of hell, you kind of have a responsibility to share that knowledge. Like the Baal Shem Tov said, "Im you learn a lot of Torah, don't think good of yourself. So, which, which, that's also an important thing to remember. You know, so big deal. You so you learned a lot of Torah. Well, you're better than somebody who didn't. But then there's a second Peter. The Baal Shem Tov said, Don't hold on to a good thing for yourself. You went through hell. You had to learn lessons in the trenches. Right, so there's a surgeon who learns how to operate in a clean operating room, and then there's a surgeon who's who's up in a in a battlefield, and learns how to do surgery with bombs exploding and with people with their chests rip open. You know, like you know, a, a military doctor. So, you have insight, not just about parenting. I'm saying about life itself, about Yiddishkeit, about Amuna. Do you think? By the way, the, just generally in this room, there is a more insight into a muna than just like the average from community. Okay. So, to, to answer the question, you know, one thing that you can do to sort of let people know that your derech is legitimate, instead of defending it, being on the defensive, and then also not to be on the offensive, like you know, fighting, but more like be proactive. Share some of the wisdom that you have. Share your wisdom, and people will be blown away. Because they don't have that wisdom. Because if you don't go through that kind of hell, you don't have that kind of insight. They will not relate to your experience. In fact, not only they will not relate to it, they will not be sympathetic to it. In fact, the opposite, they will cringe, and their discomfort with themselves, their own embarrassment with themselves, they'll project onto you. That's true. So you're not going to get a listening ear if you try to share about your experience. That's what this is for, coming together with people who, who, do, who do get you. But if you can just take the knowledge, the insight that you have, 
Don't not stuff that's specific to your experience, because they're not going to relate. And 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 adaraba. But just the knowledge, just some of the wisdom that you have, some of the, the, the nuggets of truth, and you share that with people. That's the greatest marketing that you could do for everything here that you're doing. You could just say, you know, you live and you learn, you know. Yeah, I learned a lot in yeshiva, but this was how I applied the lesson. This is where I, you know, this is where, this was the, right, not the test in school where you answer, yeah, and then you get graded. This is how, this is the, the, the test that comes from life. And, uh, and if people are really interested, they might even ask, well, like, how? How did you come to this insight? And you can, you can say, you know, well, you know, I've had a lot of challenges in my family. And those challenges have led me to a great deal of insight, which I'm grateful for. And that's, that's healthy for you, too, because then you start finding some gratitude about your situation. Because God knows there's enough pain and, and, and shame connected to the situation, which your kid is feeling if he's hypersensitive, like we were talking about before. But when you start actually, I mean, this is a darga, so I'm not, I don't want to put this on anyone as a should. They can do it. But you can do it. Yeah, you can do to it. To posh it, be grateful for this Nisoyen, because you didn't ask for it anyways. If you chose this Nisoyen, you're an idiot. <laughs> but you didn't choose it. You didn't choose it. That the Abish that gave you the Nisoyen. That we, every morning... Every morning, we tell the Eivishter, don't bring me to an Nesoyen. So we asked him, not only don't give me this test, don't give me any test. That's what I say every morning. I say, Eivishter, don't give me any test. But if he gives you a test, so now, the question is, not only can you get through it, but can you be grateful for it? Can you have gratitude? Can you say, that I would not be who I am. I would not have the relationship I have with Hashem today if I hadn't been through this. And, and uh, like I said earlier, I'm not putting this, on, putting this on you as a should. If you're not there yet, you're not there yet. Um, but I don't know. Are there people who have had glimmers of it? If you ha- did you ever have a glimmer of... of that this is a gift? You know, you, you hear parents of kids with, with special needs, and, and, and they can say it. They say, they'll say, you know what, I, I thank Hashem for giving me a child with special needs. Right? Yeah, of course it's easier, because there's no stigma attached. It's the same Hashem. It's only a question of how much amuna you have. So some people believe that if a child is born with profound special needs, so that's bidei shemayim. But if a kid becomes goes off the dead, if that was bidei adam, either it's you know usually you say it's his fault. And so for that, the Abishta didn't do it, right? The Abishta didn't do it. So then all of a sudden, hashgacha pratis exists over here. But then in the one thing in my life where I need to have the most amuna. No, now, now there's no Abishter. Now it's all, it's all just fate. Okay, anyways, bottom line, what I want, what, my only point of this is... My, my, only, my only point is that 
Not to tell you how to feel. I can't tell you how to feel. If you've had insights, if you've grown spiritually because of what you're going through, then it would be healthy for you and it's actually the right thing for you to share that with other people. Not to expect them to relate to your story because they can't. But at least they should benefit from some of the hard lessons that, that you've had to learn. And I promise you that every single person in this room has the koyach to, you know, we, we lament that all, you know, all this stuff that happens, it doesn't have a, happen in a vacuum. There's a society. There's a, there's a community. Every single person in this room, because of what they're going through, to turn around your environment, turn around that, turn around your community, one person at a time, by sharing the things that you know, that they don't know. Thank God they don't know. But when they hear truth, they know it's truth. So, you know, you have a good thing. Don't keep it to yourself. Not everybody's going to learn it the way that you learned it, thank God. But when they hear truth, they're going to know it's truth. Share with them the lessons. Not how you got to the lesson. That's unique to you. But the lesson. Because you want to know something? Bottom line, if we had to sum up all these lessons really simple, it's really just the Aleph base of Yiddishkeit. It's just the most simple stuff. Like there is an Abish there. He loves us. He created every one of us with a purpose. You know, the, the, it's, it's all the Aleph base of Yiddishkeit. It's just now... You really know it. <laughs> now it's real. You have no choice but for it to be real. So some people, they are, uh, in theory, they believe in Yiddishkeit. But, you know, this is a room full of people who don't just believe in it. You don't just believe in God. Day in, day out, you're trusting in Him. You're trusting in God. You're putting your money where your mouth is. It's a lot deeper than belief. And other people want that. They want to hear that. They're thirsty for it. And they might not necessarily hear it from their rabbi. They might not necessarily get it where they're looking for it. But if Bashkoch HaPratis, the Ebishter, arranged it that they should be talking to you, they might get it from you. We're like an hour over time or half an hour over time? Divya Bracha, simple, very simple, is that the Ebishter should give us all soft hearts. The Magid said, Lechayim Vilavracha. Some people say, Lechayim Lashalim. The Magid said, Lechayim. Levracha. And one of the Talmidim explained, Levracha is Lev Racha, a soft heart. The biggest bracha you can have is to have a soft heart. We should all have soft hearts. And the Abishah should already have a soft heart and should bring Mashiach. This is Avi Fishoff, and I can be reached at twistedparenting at AOL.com.